Blue Jays finally win a series. Hello and welcome to episode 201 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. The Blue Jays are back in the win call. They may have lost tonight in the series finale. They aren't able to sweep the Seattle Mariners, but they do get back on the board with a series win. They're still above 500. They are not a 500 team. We can hang our hats on that. Bryson, Jacob, how are you guys? The rut is over, Mark. I'm doing very well, as much as today's game did not go as planned. You win two out of three against the Mariners. I'm out of my rut with my series predictions. I'm happy Jacob's back, and um, maybe that was the reason for it. I don't know. I mean, Jacob brings good vibes as much as his fantasy team doesn't. But anyways, I'm uh, I'm I'm doing really well, and um, (laughs) you know, the Blue Jays, hopefully this is something that they can kind of get back on track with and we know that we we talked about a, a couple days ago mark an important six game homestand coming up you got another three coming up against the reds and this is another opportunity to win another series i just want to say i will not take any fantasy slander whatsoever here uh you said the rut's over i'm gonna disagree with you on that today's game they lost obviously the the final game of the series yesterday's game easily could have lost as well like to me the offense i meant the rut in losing series is what i meant okay okay yeah from that perspective fair enough but this this series i think was a little bit closer than i was hoping for so offense still kind of struggling they do have an off day before the reds come to town one day eventually the offense will come back that's all i can say and that's all i can hope for so we've already got some conflict (laughs) early on in the episode so i guess we can start there Are the Blue Jays out of their rut? Are the Blue Jays in the clear when it comes to not only hitting, but the bullpen, when it comes to them winning in general? Are they out of their rut, or are they still in the middle of their struggles that we've seen for the past two, three weeks? So the bullpen's a little interesting, because Jordan Romano, we do know that he was a gastrointestinal infection, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So he's he's not played in this series. I don't think it's going to lead to an IL stint, but that's a guy that you don't have on your roster and obviously, or that you don't have available. Tim Mesa's on the IL for looking like it's going to be just over two weeks. It's 15 days for pitchers now. I'm not really worried about the bullpen. Wasn't great towards the end of today's game with Trevor Richards and uh, Ross Stripling both allowing some runs. It is what it is. Like it, I'm not overly concerned about it, and normally you wouldn't really have guys like that in those situations maybe if Romano's healthy you put Simber in that situation or Meza or anybody else so I'm not really worried about the bullpen starting rotation as shaky as Kevin Gosman was today I'm still not worried about him I'm not worried about any of the rotation really except for Ryu I just want to see him prove himself a few a little bit more offense I'm still not not really happy with it they had the bases loaded today all they got was a, a bases loaded walk. They didn't get any type of runs other than that. You can't be doing that, especially when you have the top of the order coming up. Good on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He obviously was the one that took that walk. I'll take, I'll give it to him. He didn't just try to swing for the fences and end up missing the ball. But you need to score more runs in this situation. And I'll give it to the to the Mariners. They're not a bad team. They've not been a bad team for you know quite a few years now. But the offense, again, looking like it's struggling. And even in game two, 
yeah, they did win 3 nothing. Very good game all around. But the fact that the only runs that you got kind of came off of a bloop triple, to me, it's a little bit... I'm not worried in the sense that like they're never going to win games, but the fact that they're just barely winning games and this is the reason why is a little bit concerning. And we've been saying this, I think, maybe even for a month now. It's it's you know we're towards the second half of May. We've been saying this really since I think the end of April, or we've been talking about the offense all season long. But it's now maybe since the end of April become a little bit of an issue. But eventually things will settle. Guys will get going. Teoscar Hernandez looking a little bit better since his IL stint. He, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he still has that 15-game hitting streak. It is now 15 games after the bottom of the eighth inning single, I think it was, and he just absolutely ripped that ball. So guys are still, like, it's not as if the, the players are not talented or that they're heavily struggling. It's they're not str- stringing together hits, especially when it matters. And when it matters, bases loaded, runners on, things like that. That's really all I think this team needs to work on. It and we really like you can't blame the rotation everybody except for Ryu through six innings in their last start and Ryu just because it's his first start back obviously he's not going to throw that but starting rotation has been fine bullpen I'm not necessarily worried about although we'll probably see changes to the bullpen throughout the season just because that's how the bullpen works the offense though you're pretty much seeing your key guys play and the results are not necessarily there and Unfortunately, now Lourdes Gurriel Jr. left today's game with, I believe it was hamstring tightness is what they were calling it. I don't think we've gotten an update since then. We're literally recording just after the game, so there's not been any tests yet. But he's a guy that's definitely been one of the better spots for this team, at least at the the early parts of the season. All I can hope is that this isn't necessarily a trend of this team really isn't clicking offensively. Because we know it's a lethal offense second in the run or second in the league in runs last season one of the best with runners in scoring positions it's just not been there this season and things I think need to be a lot better you're facing easier teams now I think that's fair to say going into uh going into like this series they had the one of the hardest schedules I think it was the hardest schedule out of any team but going forward fourth easiest now obviously things can change and that's not to say that oh you have easy teams you're automatically going to win but hopefully this allows them to get into more of an offensive uh, groove and even today really the I think it was Diego Castillo was pitching towards the uh, or I think it was in the last inning of the game he was all over the place and still Blue Jays could have taken advantage of that you know got some runs got some hits string them together didn't and I'm not going to say that that one inning is reflective of the situation but it's situations like this where you have the opportunity to get hits. You have a series that it's going to be close regardless, but you need to get those runs in. You need to get on base. You need to take advantage of when, when guys are on base. So that's really all I'm nervous about or concerned about still. Do I think it'll settle in or do I think it'll get a lot better? Absolutely. We know that this offense is good and can be extremely good, especially with guys like Bichette hitting over 300 this month. Guerrero still with those hits. Matt Chapman still needing to, you know, get back into a groove, hitting still under 200. Same thing with Teoscar Hernandez, but, like, these are guys that are established and they will get better throughout the course of a season. So I'm not, like, I'm not, like, wishfully thinking that this offense will get better. I know it will, but it's definitely worrisome that it still hasn't and we're we're in week six of the season. 
Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. I think I think personally you were a little too harsh on the offensive performance this series because it just feels like, you know, I think to expect changes in it with the snap of the fingers over the course of three games is I think it's a little bit asking for too much. Um, this is something that has been discussed, I guess, pretty much the entire season and something that's been highlighted over the course of the last two episodes is that you need to see flashes and you need to see some sort of signal and slow turning points before you get to that point. And I just think besides game three, obviously the game three was kind of reverting back to their old ways. I mean, game one and two is pretty much something that I thought we saw a lot better performance of. If you want to call it a bloop single or sorry, a bloop triple in game two, as far as I'm concerned, the Blue Jays deserve a break and it's one of many that they deserve. And I don't really look at it as them getting lucky or whatnot. Obviously, it was a bad read by Steven Souza Jr. in the outfield, and that was pretty much the what allowed Springer to go to third. But at the end of the day, they got those runs in, and they found a way to win that game. And I thought game one was even more of a bigger highlight from that. I mean, the runners in scoring position numbers were there in game one. You went three for nine with runners in scoring position. And this, I guess, in my opinion, was probably the best offensive night. And I think that's pretty easy to say. I just It felt like everyone, or at least multiple people, on the Jays were contributing towards the getting their runs and they were finding ways to score early in the game. They were finding ways to score later in the game. And this is kind of something that we've seen this year. They get out to maybe a couple innings worth of runs and then all of a sudden they stop and then that's it. And that was pretty much also something while you saw in game two. So pretty much what I'm saying is I'm not totally sold on the offense yet. I'm first to admit, and I think it's obvious too, they are still in this rut. We all know this. However, it feels like they are slowly and slowly putting together better at-bats. At least that's what I'm looking at. I don't know if you you agree or not, Mark. You're going to say your part in a couple of minutes. But I just think that as much as we know that this isn't up to their potential and this is nowhere near to their potential, they are still feels it feels like they're still slowly starting to get there in the right direction. And I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know, you know how quickly or exactly is what I'm saying is I don't know how long it's going to take, but as long as we're somewhat seeing flashes of that, it's better than nothing. And that's why I'm kind of like what I took away from this series a bit, despite the result again in game three. So that was that the starting pitching was very good. Uh, something that wasn't mentioned was Yusei Kikuchi against his former team. He goes out and pitches six scoreless uh, innings. He allows one hit, six strikeouts. He was very dominant against the Seattle Mariners. This is a pitcher that the Seattle Mariners know of however at the same time they don't know because this is a Yusei Kikuchi who has really changed his mechanics and his approach uh since he was a Mariner so this is as much as they know Yusei Kikuchi this was a different version of him he wasn't giving up a lot of hard contact whatsoever he just felt very comfortable his fastball was pretty much attacking the zone something that we haven't really seen from him this year in terms of getting ahead early in the count so that was very um, good to see on that. And then moving forward in game two is when they won 3 nothing from that RBI triple from George Springer. It was also probably the best start from Jose Barrios this season. I know the starting rotation hasn't been the issue. I'm just pointing out the highlights because somebody like Jose Barrios, who's kind of been up and down to start the year, this was a lot more like Jose Barrios that we saw of last year. He goes out for seven efficient innings, uh, pretty much no runs allowed, and he strikes out four. And that's been something with Jose Barrios this year. He hasn't been striking out a lot of batters. Some people are concerned with that. Some people aren't looking into that too much. At the end of the day, this was a lot more like Jose Brios once again from last year, striking out four, and the bullpen pretty much holding out the Mariners to zero runs after that. So that was good, and there's really not much to talk about today. 
I wouldn't say Kevin Gosman was shaky today. I think, in my opinion, that as much as he wasn't sharp, and I think this was probably one of his, definitely his worst start of the year, and he wasn't even that bad. I just think that he wasn't shaky, but he wasn't sharp. We saw the early base runners. He was allowing uh, bases out in the first inning. We saw overall he was allowing a lot of base runners. Wasn't striking out a lot of guys with a splitter today. Just felt like the Mariners really had him under control with that, and they weren't chasing something that the rest of the league, quite frankly, has been doing since April. So, that's pretty much what you get out of that. You have a couple opportunities, many opportunities today um, to get back into the game. A couple bases loaded opportunities that you had. The Jays couldn't get this done. And that's exactly why as much as they're still in the rut, we're not. I'm totally not sold on them yet because they still, at the end of the day, haven't been complete throughout a series. You look at this game, this is something that they've been doing pretty much all year. Reverting back to struggling with runners on. And that's, I guess, the frustrating part with me. So... That's pretty much my takeaway from the offense and the starting pitching. The bullpen, however, um, Jacob, I think you said you weren't concerned. I would probably say I'm a tidy bit more concerned than you are. Not overly concerned, though, just because, again, you're seeing a lot of guys still pitch pretty well uh, for the most part. I should say some guys, and you were dealing without Jordan Romano, like you said. There's still some performances where uh, I haven't been entirely sold. I think one highlight that I have in that you know, goes to today as well was Trevor Richards. I mean, he's been giving up a ton of home runs this year and it hasn't been pretty much, it it hasn't been good whatsoever out of him so far over the last couple of weeks. So I think that's a little bit of a concern. Again, some certain guys like Adam Simber, he's been performing really well. The guys that you can pretty much rely on late in the ball games, but overall as a team, and this is something that's been talked about a lot is that they're still missing that swing and miss guy. And you look at the numbers this year as a whole for the bullpen, 27th in the MLB in terms of strikeouts through nine, 20% with their strikeout percentage, which is also 27th in the MLB, tied for last in the MLB for a percentage of swing and strikes. And that pretty much just shows you, again, they're missing that swing swing and miss guy. The bullpen is not a finished product. It is going to probably, most likely, almost certainly, be addressed at some point this season. So, again, at the end of the day, I'm fine with the outcome of this series. A lot, a little, a few things that I really enjoyed and of course, a few things again where you just know that it's it's unacceptable. And I think a lot of that we saw in Game Three. But at the end of the day, you had two games out of three where your offense was a lot better than what we've seen for the most part of the series. I'm not jumping up and down just yet. We need to see more. And you have another opportunity this weekend to do that in this homestand. Yeah, by all means, I am happy with this series. Um, it's a measured happiness, a reserved happiness. There are still very big problems with the Blue Jays and problems that we've seen pop up over the past series, over the last three days, that we didn't anticipate and are going to cause problems for the Blue Jays moving forward. But this series in isolation, yes, it's good. And I think I'm leaning more towards you, Bryson. This performance doesn't indicate much, but to me what it tells us is that the Blue Jays are hopefully, finally, fingers crossed, turning a corner. It is a sign of that. And even if they aren't turning a corner, we haven't seen a sign of them turning a corner really at all. The last time we saw this sign was, I guess, the eighth inning on, was it Saturday at Tropicana Field? And that one game on the doubleheader in Cleveland. Those were the two signs we had this year of the, or in the past two, three weeks, the Blue Jays have been something of the Blue Jays turning a corner. And neither of those times worked out. But the fact that we even have a sign of it happening, whether it happens or not, is 
a symbol of success for the Blue Jays. It's progress because we haven't had even so much as a inkling of hope over the last three weeks. So I'm encouraged by that. For that reason alone, I'm happy with the result of this series. Still, overall, I mean, 10 runs over a three-game span. The Blue Jays should be scoring that in one game. They could be doing that in one inning if they have a good inning. So, yeah, it, it's not enough. It's not where you want the team to be, and there are other problems coming up that we're going to talk about that we've already talked about that are going to become more pressing for the Blue Jays, and the offense is going to have to step up to solve them. But it's encouraging to see them start to turn a corner where we haven't seen them even show any signs of life so, so often over the last three weeks. So I side with you a little bit more than Jacob, but I see both sides. I think every fan, right? Excuse me. Every fan right now, even if you are happy with the result of this series, it's a measured happiness. It's a reserved happiness. You're kind of quietly cheering, but still very cautiously optimistic about what we're seeing from the Blue Jays. The thing that does encourage me is that, well, the Blue Jays as a whole seem to be finally, hopefully, turning a corner, individual players are really getting going. We know we've talked about the Vladdy hit streak. Santiago Espinal also has his own hit streak. Matt Chapman seems to be heating up a little bit, or at least getting a bit more lucky with balls no longer dying on the warning track in center field and instead you know we know we got a, he got a hold of one of them in today's game so we're seeing individual players really heating up and I think to me that indicates the Blue Jays are for real for real turning a corner but as with anything we'll wait and see um, we talk about the bullpen that is an area of concern now that is the most pressing issue for the Blue Jays now Jordan Romano unavailable for couple days now, maybe for a few more days. Who know how long he's out? Blue Jays don't anticipate him needing an IL stint. Um, Tim Meza is on the 15-day IL. By the sounds of it, the prognosis is good for him. You never know with that type of injury, and everyone's holding their breath until he's back and healthy and pitching every day. Those two guys present a problem for the Blue Jays. Let's just focus on Tim Meza. The bullpen, as is, hasn't been phenomenal. They were already struggling in the month of May. Their performance had gotten worse from what it was in April. And now you add in losing a guy like Tim Meza for the better part of a month. Is that a big area of concern for you guys? Should the Blue Jays make a move? How do they solve this problem Can they solve this problem when it's only May 18th and the trade deadline is still two and a half months away? Well, the one benefit Tim Meza has is he is a lefty and pretty much everybody else you named are not lefties. They're all righties. You know, Romano, Simber, Richards, even throwing David Phelps. He's had a great season so far. Garcia, like these are all righties. The only guy I think they could use in this situation, and I know this is maybe not the popular opinion, but Taylor Saucedo still a lefty. Maybe he get, that gives him... Ryan Brucky as well. And Ryan Brucky, yes, true. So, they have a few options. It, I think the biggest... The, the issue for me is how are they going to redistribute the the innings? Like, if you're... with Specifically, Romano was not available in this situation, uh, or in this series. Yesterday's game, it was Tim Meza in that Jordan Romano situation. Like, instead of him closing, it was Meza. Or it was Simber. So, Simber 
probably not going to pitch today. Didn't pitch today, obviously, but likely even if he, you know, you, you didn't think he would. Maybe he's available tomorrow or, or in the the opener against the Reds. But the point is, is how are you going to redistribute those innings? And if Tim Mazes out, do you give maybe David Phelps those situations or Ryan Barucki that type of, uh, or those types of innings? Or e- even in, you know, more uh, just eating an inning type of situation or just a, a high leverage that's not necessarily a closer or specific matchups. You just need to get guys out. If Adam Simber's now not that guy, do you give it to Trevor Richards? Or, I mean, he's kind of been scuffling, but is it him? Is it David Phelps? Is it Jimmy Garcia? How is that going to work? And hopefully with Jordan Romano, it's just short term. I have no idea. I've never even heard of, or in, at least in recent memory, of a player having this type of uh, this type of issue. But it's looking like it's not an injured list type of situation. If that's short term then basically everything else I just said is not necessarily the biggest concern. But with a guy like Tim Meza, you're you're probably not going to get him back until June. Where do you fill in those roles? And in the roles that, you know, like in a healthy bullpen, if you have Tim Meza in certain situations, you can afford to put Ryan Barucki in other situations. Now, who, who do you fill in for Ryan Barucki, if that makes sense, like in those types of situations? And guys have been scuffling like let's let's be real here the team has had one of the hardest schedules to this point so all of the players that needed to be good they've been good for the most part but I think their the struggles were a little magnified when the team's only scoring like one run a game I think as of going into today's game it was a 3.6 runs per game for the Blue Jays which is 22nd I believe in the league and they only scored one run today so I'm sure it's a little bit lower but when you're barely scoring any runs, the struggles from the bullpen are definitely going to be magnified. Now you take away, and specifically talking about Mesa, you take away a guy that's a key contributor in that bullpen. How are you going to have other guys take over for that? Because you still don't have Nate Pearson back. Like he obviously is not a lefty, but they're one of the things with Ryu coming back is you can throw Ross Stripling in the bullpen, and now you have more depth. Is that depth? going to be over tested now I'm not entirely sure but I think the one good thing if we're talking about good things that this bullpen kind of get is it's it is rest Kevin Gosman only went five days or five innings today but Manoa through six Barrios through six consistently guys are throwing six and seven innings throughout their last one to two trips throughout the rotation so if you only need to cover three maybe three and a third at most four innings each game out of your bullpen I think that's honestly fine. And you can say the guys that normally would pitch like every day or multiple innings don't necessarily have to. But as of right now, I don't know, like I part of me wants to be concerned about the bullpen, but I also just kind of want to see how it's worked around first. Because if you just said, you know, guys are struggling, totally fair. And I would say, yes, that's absolutely fair. But I want to see how are these struggle is going to be worked around because at least with the bullpen you do have more flexibility it's not like if your third baseman struggling you have no choice but to still play that guy because he's the best third baseman and I'm not just pointing out Matt Chapman I'm just saying position in general like take any position in, in that matter but like if you have a, a guy that eats innings and that's the guy's only job you can still work around that and have somebody else do that or put somebody else in high leverage spots like kind of like when you're a shift worker you can just have somebody else come in and do that that job temporarily I think the Blue Jays have the the assets to do that depth is definitely going to be tested once more 
all I can hope is that this offense gives those guys uh, a little bit more of a break because we like you can't rely on Adam Simber to at one point like lead the league in wins and then also start to climb up there in the save category like eventually guys are going to not be as efficient as they once were and even if it even if it does even if they are you don't want that to have to get to that point but as of right now I wouldn't say I'm necessarily concerned I just want to see how this these things are worked around and how soon we get Jordan Romano back will definitely be I think a bigger factor but it, with, with a guy like Tim Meza you definitely have to plan a little bit longer term uh, around where he was going to pitch yeah I mean Again, I'm pro- I'm definitely more concerned than you are, but it's not like anywhere close to what we saw last year. And the bullpen, quite frankly, isn't the isn't the weakness like it was last year. I mean, you, we 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 know what the weakness has been this year. We know what the strengths are, and that has pretty much been the starting rotation. I I see what you're saying about like readjusting everything, and that's completely fair. I just, for me, I don't necessarily look at that first, even though that's definitely something that you have to address for sure. I just I look at it specifically with Tim Meza. I think if he's not there, it's just, I mean, you you look at the other lefties in your bullpen right now. You have Ryan Barucki, and then you have Andrew Vasquez. Those are your only options right now. Uh, Taylor Saucedo is still in the IL, and then, of course, you have other internal options. But in terms of notable left-handed people or that have been in the bullpen before, it's pretty much just those two right now. Ryan Barucki is always kind of interesting. You don't, sometimes he's really good, sometimes he's, not as good. He's already been on the IL once with the blister. Andrew Vasquez pretty much has a two-way ticket between Buffalo and Toronto. The depth there in terms of lefties definitely isn't strong. I mean, that that's pretty much um, completely fair to say, I think. And that's why the Tim Mesa thing is definitely concerning. It was good news today, though, saying how they believe that it's not elbow or it's not structural damage to his elbow it's more with his forearm which is definitely a sigh of relief knowing his in, his injury history and pretty much having Tommy John surgery a couple of, a couple years ago so that's definitely something that you I guess are happy with but at the same time you were talking about it one of you guys mentioned it it's a 15 day IL now you got two weeks without him who knows when he's going to be back and you know having a lefty out of the bullpen definitely is important Re- still remains important today and that's why the depth is definitely not completely – it's there somewhat, but it's not the greatest, and I think that's very um, obvious for, for that reason. And, you know, you look at last year, you know the Jays made the move last year very early when they got guys like Adam Simber, when they got guys like Trevor Richards. I don't know if they make a move early again this year. It definitely wouldn't surprise me knowing that they've done it before, but I just – I don't know. Other than Nate Pearson, you really don't have any – internal options because Nate Pearson's coming back. Mark, we discussed it a couple days ago. If Nate Pearson's back, do you throw in the possibility of a six man rotation? This was a conversation that we also had because of the schedule in June is pretty much very similar to what we saw in April in terms of the games played and the off days. So there's kind of question marks there, but the good news is Nate Pearson is on his way back. And that's what you were mentioning too, Jacob. So that is good news. However, other than him, there's not really anyone in Buffalo right now that you can kind of be confident with saying this guy, you know, has a future with this bullpen or will be up at some point with this bullpen. Um, you know, I guess some other guys that have been with the team so far this year was Julie Merriweather's one guy, but he's been off to a rocky start. Trent Thornton's a guy that's always back and forth. We know that J- the Jays recently signed Derek Holland, but who knows what you're going to get out of him for somebody who's signing on late and has got a pretty much probably go through Florida and then go through the minor leagues if he wants a shot at making this bullpen at any, at some point this year. So 
it concerns me because of the lack of swing and miss, and it's pretty much been an obvious concern throughout anyone. If you, if you ask any Blue Jay fan about that or just see it all over social media or you see the numbers about it, that is the one area of concern. There's not a lot of strikeouts coming from this bullpen. Um, and Jordan Romano, quite frankly, you guys were talking about it. He's dealing with a little bit of an illness right now. Um, he's on antibiotics. They so hope he's going to be back in a couple of days. He's kind of been out of rhythm. There was kind of a stretch where he wouldn't. He didn't pitch for a week. He showed up a week later. His velocity was down. He got knocked around pretty good. He hasn't really been in rhythm since April. So you got to get him back in rhythm once he does get over this illness. Um, that's one thing that you got to look at it from. And then of course that you got you you got guys like Jimmy Garcia who haven't been the greatest over the past couple of weeks. Trevor Richards is somebody I mentioned. He's giving up a lot of homers in the last seven days. Uh, pretty much an ERA, I think, over nine in this last seven days. This was somebody that you were supposed to rely on at the beginning of the year. So the depth isn't the greatest, but again, it's not not even close to last year. Not even close. The bullpen is definitely sustainable um, in certain parts of the season so far. It was really good in April. This May, it's been a little bit of a rocky up and down swing for certain guys. And then... For the future, you know, you have to imagine that there's going to be somebody coming. You hope that Tim Mays is back at some point, but you just, it feels like this is definitely a necessary move that needs to be made uh, at some point in the summer. And I think it's very obvious that there's going to be a move that's coming at some point in the summer for that. So that's where I stand on it. And I don't know, you know, I, I think guys like Trevor Richards are a lot better than what he's been pitching like, but I just, I'm somewhat confident I, I should say I'm confident overall when they're pitching really well but when there's stretches like this when they're not and there's a couple guys that are going up and down it definitely gets you wondering you know the confidence and how much you can really trust them in certain situations and I guess in this case really close situations because we know that the weakness all year has been the offense we know the margin fair has been very noticeable we know that the starting rotation's got to do really well in order to maybe limit the use of the bullpen limit those readjusting questions that you had Jacob Throw it a starter for seven innings. It's pretty easy. You go through two guys in the eighth and ninth. It's not always going to be that easy, but that's also one thing you got to look at it from. But the depth overall still is a bit concerning because, again, after Nate Pearson, who do you really have in the farm system that you're very confident with that can come up here right now and perform uh, in high leverage situations or be that multi-inning guy out of the bullpen? I hear your point, but I think I'm also in wait-and-see mode. I think, like, I don't know, bullpens are so weird and unpredictable, and you never know what you're going to get on a given night, or if someone's going to surprise you. We know that Ryan Brocky has shown flashes of brilliance in the majors. I'm not saying he's going to come out there and be an instant replacement for Tim Meza. I'm just saying it's a possibility, and I think the bullpen is so unpredictable that you really have to wait and see before you panic. So obviously like this news is not good. It puts the Blue Jays in a worse position than they were two or three days ago, but it's not the end of the world yet. And we have to wait a couple more days, wait a week or even potentially two weeks to see what the full impact of this is, because we could have someone like Ryan Brucky step up. We could have someone like Andrew Vasquez step up. We could have someone farther down the system, whether it's Trent Thornton, whether it's Derek Holland, like you mentioned, we could have someone else step up. And I think bullpens are so unpredictable that we don't totally know who that's going to be. Odds are it's going to be a challenge for the Blue Jays and it's going to put them in a worse position. Then again, maybe that's what the offense needs because they clearly need something to get them going. And so far, nothing has worked, so maybe a crappy bullpen will do the trick. Um, I'm sarcastic, obviously, when I'm saying that, but you never know. So 
Point being, I think everything is unpredictable. And yeah, I I really don't see the Blue Jays front office making a move for a guy in the bullpen now, this early. Especially like, yeah, last season was one thing. We didn't expect it to happen that early with Trevor Richards. It did, and they ended up making a good deal. You know, Rowdy Telez is having success in uh, Milwaukee now, but end up being a successful trade for the Blue Jays. And I think that's more of an anomaly than a precedent or a rule for the Blue Jays this season. I don't expect to see that again. And I think the situations between 2021 and 2022 are night and day. Like you mentioned, the bullpen this year, at least on paper, is so much better than it was last year. The Blue Jays haven't really been blowing games out of the bullpen. You have a bad performance here and there, but they haven't been losing wins because of the bullpen completely different situation I don't see the Blue Jays making a move right now I see them waiting until probably July but speaking of the trade deadline and the Blue Jays making moves there was a certain name that was mentioned this past week that caught a lot of eyes for the Blue Jays being linked to him and that's Juan Soto we know he is a generational talent one of the best players in the game right now People comparing him to some of the greatest baseball players of all time. Um, That includes Ted Williams is an often compared guy to Juan Soto. Um, He's a left-handed hitter. You would be insane to say no for him being on your team. And Buster Olney this week reported that the Washington Nationals are, quote, compelled to make a move involving, involving Juan Soto before the trade deadline on August 2nd because they haven't had any progress with him on contract extension talks. He said that the Nats would obviously set a very high price, but the Blue Jays and the Padres are two teams that are especially involved or could be involved, potential suitors. Kind of a lot of if, ands, or buts in there, but bottom line, Buster only connecting Juan Soto with the Toronto Blue Jays. I guess my first question: How much do you buy this? I don't know. Um, look at so look at what happened this offseason. We heard Freddie Freeman. We heard you know Robbie Ray's coming back. I mean, obviously I'll take Kevin Gosman, but we heard we heard things pretty much all offseason about like the top guys are coming to the Blue Jays. I think this is just kind of what we need to expect right now. I don't know though. It's it's a big return the Nationals would be getting, and the Blue Jays going to have to give up a lot for him. I'm not saying he's not worth it, but it's going to be a big mix of uh, of prospects and big league talent if, for that. But one thing I do want to say, I've fallen for the fake leaks again, and it wasn't even a fake leak. So it was. So what it was, and, and I can't remember who tweeted it, but somebody said, this is the return the Blue Jays would, or the Nationals should expect from the Blue Jays. And there was like 10 names. I was reading, I was like, like this is a lot of names Jordan Groshans uh G- Gabriel Moreno I was like holy crap like this is a lot of names and then I realized the guy just took a screenshot of the top 10 prospects and <laughs> I didn't realize it until a few seconds later but like the fact that I bought it for a few seconds proves that like the Nationals justifiably would be getting a massive massive return for this guy all I'm saying though is if your outfield is Teoscar Hernandez George Springer and and, and Juan Soto Whatever run the Yankees are on, that's going to be put to a stop real soon if that happens. Whoa. Wow. Um, Mark, I believe Juan Soto is your 
your best player in the league. Correct me if I'm wrong yes, quickly. He is the best yes. player in baseball. Well, Shohei Otani last season, blah, blah, blah. Juan Soto is the best player in baseball. Look, again, there was a lot going on in terms of if this happens, if this happens, if that happens. Who knows if the Nationals are going to move him this year or next year? Like, it, It's not even for certain this happens this year. This is something that is definitely starting to loom for them because – we know that the offer that he turned down pretty much, I think it was prior to the lockout last winter, um, it just feels like he's going to go in a free agency. It's He's not going to sign an extension with Washington. So if you're Washington, this is probably something that you're going to have to deal with sooner rather than later before it's too late. And if that's the case, if that's the case, I'm saying if they decide to trade him and the Jays are maybe one of those two teams, even though I feel like every single team would be interested in Juan Soto, you got to. I think you got to go for it. I mean, I'm sorry, I really do. I I know there was a ton. You know, it's 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 hard to kind of imagine specific players going back in a deal. Like you look at the the Jose Ramirez era, where we were pretty much set in stone of certain guys that would go back in a deal for him. For Juan Soto, I just I can't come to terms with that yet. I've seen a million mock trades today on Blue Jays Twitter because Blue Jays Twitter went absolutely nuts when that um, report came out, and people were kind of including pretty much anybody that you can name of other than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in trade offers. And that's why I don't know what the market's like for him. Who knows what they're going to ask for. But if this is the case, a left-handed at-bat, him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that'd be a pretty good duo. We all know this. And it obviously creates balance. It creates pretty much everything for your team. Again, we don't know how... I'm sure there is some traction to it. Again, I feel it's kind of hard to imagine that not every team would be interested in him, but it just depends on how serious the Nationals are if they really want to go this route. But I feel like in the next couple of years, it's they're going to have to have make a decision because, again, they couldn't sign him last uh, offseason, and it just feels like at this point he's going to go in a free agency, and that's the, that's pretty much the question mark. You got Juan Soto but you got a couple years, and then he's likely going to get a huge deal, probably more than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to get. We know this, and that's why it's pretty tricky. But you got to look at it. I think you got to entertain it. Again, it's hard to say this because we don't know how true it is, but of course, if it is true and there is traction to it, I'd love to see it happen, and I'm pretty sure every other Jays fan would love to see it happen. I did find it interesting, though, that I guess the Jays were mentioned with Juan Soto. I know one guy that's been mentioned on the Nationals a lot in terms of being linked to the Blue Jays is Josh Bell. I mean, there's been tons of names on that. I think Jeff Passan pretty much name-dropped him a couple days ago on Blair and Barker. There's been other executives who have been, and I think Buster only in that same article pretty much mentioned Josh Bell. So that makes a lot more sense. I think we can all come to terms with that. Another left-handed at-bat creates more balance in your lineup. And I think that was the name that we're kind of are only really focused on in terms of Washington right now. So that's why hearing Juan Soto out of kind of out of nowhere definitely was a little bit surprising. And of course, the Padres are the other team who were pretty much linked to him or at least mentioned in that. So we know that they were also going in or they were going for uh, Jose Ramirez. They seem to be very aggressive, um, the Padres, and they've been really aggressive the past couple of years in general. So they're doing their best as well to build that World Series uh, caliber team. And that was Jacob's World Series pick last year, too. So... The Padres are very good, and of course, I just, I don't know. I It's hard to say because, again, we don't know how serious it is, but it was just really weird to see. It, it just felt really weird to me that the Jays were mentioned on it, and that, again, Jays Twitter pretty much took off with it. I loved it. I loved the discussions I was reading and all of that, so we'll see. I guess it's something that you got to kind of keep in the back of your head now. 
Again, we don't know if this happens this year. This can happen in the offseason. This can also happen next season. Who knows? But uh, it's definitely something to probably keep the in the back of your head because you feel like the Jays, if, of course, a particular team listed, there's got to be some traction that they're definitely going to entertain this if the Nationals are open to moving Juan Soto. Feels like the offseason all over again. You love it. You love these type of rumors. And, yeah, I mean, Blue Jays, Juan Soto, like – you would be an idiot to say no to that. Obviously, it depends on what the package is going the other way. As far as the question of whether I believe it or not, like, no. <laughs> like, I I believe Buster Olney's report. I'm not questioning his reporting because basically what he said is just rival executives think the Blue Jays could be a fit for Juan Soto, which is true. I mean, Juan Soto could end up anywhere but the Blue Jays do make sense as a team that is on the cusp of competing for a World Series championship as a team that needs left-handed hitters as a team that is going to have a hole in the outfield after Teoscar Hernandez potentially leaves at some point soon as well as Lourdes Goriel Jr. potentially leaving at some point soon it makes sense and I think that's all this report is basically saying. So I'm not reading much into it, but man, oh man, would it be exciting. It does not come more exciting than this. And I think like that's one of the reasons why I think it won't happen. It's just a gargantuan trade. Like This trade would be the biggest we've ever seen in certainly recent memory for Blue Jays fans, potentially even baseball fans in general I mean one trade that comes to mind is even just last season Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers from the Nationals but even that trade I think would pale in comparison to getting a generational talent on your team with the potential to extend and pass that so I'm skeptical would love for it to happen it would be so much fun to watch him in a Blue Jays uniform but ultimately I don't think it'll happen still I mean, it's dream stuff. It's it would be insane. The only thing, and I'm uh, there are going to be people that disagree with me on this, but the only thing that I could see deterring the Blue Jays from this is the ridiculous return that the uh, the Nationals could potentially want. And because the only thing we you talked about, I think Bryson, the mock trades you saw, I saw a million of them uh, on top of the top ten prospect list that I thought was a trade. But like you're. Most likely, I think I heard Guriel's name, Kirk's name, most of like the Ramirez trade, Kirk, uh, Guriel, things like, um, uh, who else could there be? Groshans, you know, top prospects. Like you're probably expecting a massive, massive return. And I'm not saying, like I said, Washington is justified in wanting that, but we're almost at the point where it's like, is that worth or is what you're going to give up worth it for potentially a couple seasons, potentially more seasons? Obviously, it could be worth it, but if the return is more than you're willing to give up, then I hate to say it, but I'd rather some of these prospects stay in the in the system than I would uh, having Juan Soto for any amount of years. Over well, Juan sorry. Soto? It Okay, sorry. It depends Players on... Players don't come better than Juan Soto. He is the top for, of the yeah. top. No, okay. Well, sorry, you, what I mean is if... If the return is so big that you almost look like an idiot for accepting it, even though you get Juan Soto, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's that might be a bit of, a, of too big of a return. And like I said, Washington is justified in asking that. I've said that like four times, but eventually there's a price that's a little bit too much to pay. 
I don't know if I would draw a line, though. Like, Gabriel Moreno, he's gone if you're getting Juan Soto. Or Alvis Martinez, he's gone if you're getting Juan Soto. Like, I am happy parting with those two. If you're getting Juan Soto, sign me up. I don't know where I would draw the line. Yeah, but I could see them asking for at least another prospect plus a couple major league players. I'll give them Marino, Martinez, Nate Pearson, Kevin Vigio. Uh, I don't know. Who else could they want? Guriel, maybe. I saw his name. Guriel. I would I would give them all those five. I would do happy. that. Yes, fair. Do you give them Bo Bichette? <clears throat> no. Okay. Well, no. now we're talking tough. Nah. No. I don't think so. It's a tough one. I know. I saw his name a few in a few. I'm just saying, but continue. But do you bet on Groshans taking his role? That's, I think, the one thing you'd have to do. I would. I would toss Groshans in there as well. Six player deal with Bichette. I would do it. No, 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 no. Bo Bichette, I think, because you, you look at the picture for the Blue Jays right now. They have to win now. They have to win over the next three, four years. Trading away Bo Bichette hurts that. So I don't think they want to trade away guys that are under control for their competitive window. Lourdes Goriel Jr., yeah, you can trade away him because he's a free agent after next season. Um, same with Teoscar Hernandez. I think that's someone that it might hurt, but you could toss into that deal. I wouldn't toss in Bo Bichette because he's a key part of this team for years to come. Yeah, okay. That's and fair. then you also have a huge hole at shortstop. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Soto, obviously he is an outfielder. So if you trade Guriel, well, it even makes more sense because then you just throw him where Guriel would play. Yeah, I just... It's simple for me. Um, you're trying to win a World Series, which is why I, for what you were saying, Mark, there's no line for me for Juan Soto. You're, you're trying to win a World Series, and it's pretty obvious that he is the best or gives you the best chance out of all those guys in a potential deal to do it um, in terms of prospects, obviously. And then if you talk about Major League Talent, like I was throwing at you guys a bit, then you got to probably question it a little bit. Maybe a little bit more thought into it, but you're trying to win a World Series, and you got to go for it. I, I said the same thing uh, for Jose Ramirez a couple years ago with Francisco Lindor. Uh, I said the same thing for that. you got to go for it. it. My mindset stays the same. You can sit, make the same argument for what they did with Jose Barrios. You're trying to win now, and that's exactly what it is in terms of acquiring Major League talent. We'll just see with this. I, I assume this is going to escalate very or just escalate a ton as the time gets closer to when the J or the Nationals, sorry, have to make this move. No matter what team's interested, you know that this will eventually be the story of baseball uh, whenever it comes up in terms of who's going to get Juan Soto because it sure as heck won't be in Washington long term unless he has a change of heart last second. But again, all signs point to him leaving when he gets the chance. And if that's if that's the case, the Nationals are obviously going to try and capitalize on that return for whatever they can get. But this is something that is definitely going to be a huge topic for whenever the heck or until whenever the heck it ends. One article is all it took for Juan Soto <laughs> to become the new Jose Ramirez. We're going to be talking about him endlessly until either the Nationals sign him to an extension or he gets traded somewhere. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a long and fun. Well, this conversation was a lot of fun already, and I can't wait to talk about him for what will probably be another two, three months at the very least, potentially ranging into next season. Uh, should be fun, yeah. Um, okay, I guess series predictions for this set against the Cincinnati Reds coming up after the off day. It's a three-gamer, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just trying to... It's a week three game. Okay. Cincinnati's terrible, and my uh, my predictions have actually not been that bad, so I'm going to say they sweep them. 
I'm back. My rut's over for my series predictions. You see, we're, we're seeing green on Saturday. Um, former Blue Jay Connor Overton starts Sunday. And then if you want to go back to Friday, I know I'm not really going to order. You see Luis Castillo. It's still a sweep for me. I agree with Jacob on this one. We both got to go with sweep. You just like how the Jays are matching up as well with their pitchers. Let's get it going this weekend. Three out of three. I'm going to manifest it. Clean sweep. Got to make it happen, Blue Jays. If you lose a game to the Reds, disaster. Uh, okay, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks to everyone who listened to this episode. It's been fun to talk Blue Jays baseball. Looking forward to what the next three-game set has in store and what the weekend has in store for the Blue Jays against the Reds. As always, you can support our podcast by following us on social media. That's at Section138Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, you can also rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And with that, we will catch you after this three-game set against the Cincinnati Reds.